certainly when it comes to these kinds of FDA or FDA-like regulators, yeah. that type of failure violation could lead to your operation being shut down. So that's how serious that was. As a mock audit, it was a disaster. We were able to provide the information a few days later when the system was available again, but that would have been absolutely unacceptable. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Complying with regulatory bodies is more than just producing the documentation when they ask for it. If the regulatory body is as stringent as FDA, they look for several red flags, including completeness and thoroughness of the documentation and confidence level. But speed is typically the most critical factor. Manufacturers with manual processes and fragmented systems might struggle with the speed expectations of these regulatory bodies. In today's episode, we have our guest, Tom Rodden, who discusses the nuances of medical device manufacturing and how it differs from generalized manufacturing. He also discusses several processes and system needs that are driven by regulatory bodies such as FDA. Finally, he shares several stories where poorly maintained systems and methods may have had catastrophic results for the company. Let me introduce Tom to you. Tom Rodden has focused on IT and supply chain over his 34-year career. Most recently, Tom was named CIO of Variance Global Information Technology Organization in 2017. Varian is a $3 billion revenue med device company focused on radiation therapy. Tom's IT operations consist of 400 staff with an $80 million OPEX budget. He has defined the mission of IT at Varian as boundaryless partnership with the goal of extending the role of IT beyond the four walls of the enterprise, focusing on customers, acquisition, integration, and leading transformation. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. Happy to be here. Of course, my pleasure. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus? Absolutely, yeah. So my name is Tom Rodden. I'm the CIO at Varian Medical Systems, and I've been in this role for almost four years now. Prior to that, I was the head of applications, and I actually led up the infrastructure and security areas as well for uh, about a year, all as a part of my preparation for the CIO role. The big focus for me as CIO at Varian has been on growth. How do I support the company 
in its efforts to grow in terms of uh, organic opportunities as well as inorganic opportunities, acquisitions. Um, how do we do product development more effectively, et cetera? So that has been for me the big challenge for me personally, as well as for my team to make us more externally focused, opportunity focused, growth focused. So um, that's that's a bit of a change from the traditional CIO role for a lot of companies, and including in Varian historically. And so uh, we're, we're we're really setting a slightly different path. And I think it's exciting for me and for my team. And I, I hope for my executive partners. Okay. So that seems like a marriage made in heaven because you are on a growth podcast and we are all excited to hear about growth. Okay. And you sort of touch this a bit, but we like to get our understanding aligned with respect to the growth. So this is the question that every guest has to answer as they come on the show. And that is going to be your perspective on business growth. When you think of the word business growth, what does it mean to you, Tom? Well, what it means to me specifically is revenue growth. So at Varian, the big challenge is the top line. Of course, we're always focused as well on productivity, margins, the bottom line, um, EPS, et cetera. But the big challenge historically at Varian has been how do you achieve double-digit growth in revenue in orders, uh, which are a leading indicator, uh, we have a long order to sale cycle, one to two years typically, because we're a large capital equipment, life science, med device manufacturer. So there's a there's a good long lead time. So orders as well as revenue in that one to two year cycle. If we're growing that at double digits, uh, we know that we're looking good in terms of our quarterly and our annual performance. So that's where I am focused in terms of growth with my team in support of the business. So how do we enable the new product development, be it hardware or software? How do we facilitate that and accelerate that and support the teams in engineering and software development? How do we enable uh, what is becoming now a shift from 510K approvals that Varian historically has obtained for its products, for new features, for software, and move to clinical trials um, and a much tougher approval process, PCA process. And that uh, has led us to, for example, introduce a new platform for clinical trial management. Um, So my team has delivered and is now going to be supporting going forward that platform as we start to do clinical trials really for the first time at Barry. Um, And then acquisitions is another big opportunity for growth. Sometimes they're niche acquisitions of a new product or a new feature. Uh, Sometimes they're distributor type acquisitions where we want to go into a market where we already have a distributor relationship. And we've come to the point where we actually make an offer and we want to acquire them and we want to integrate that. So my team is involved in all of these types of organic as well as inorganic growth opportunities. And that's what I'm prioritizing. Okay, wonderful. And I really like your background because you bring that blend of the the consulting world. So obviously, you can understand a lot more from the finance perspective, also from the IT perspective. So I'm super excited to dig deeper into a little bit of that. And uh, one of the things that we really wanted to cover today is going to be really how medical device manufacturing is going to differ from your regular manufacturing. 
So just to give you a sense of our audience, so our audience is going to be a lot of manufacturers. They might be in the contract manufacturing space or they might be in the other manufacturing space. But let's say if they want to, let's say, sell to manufacturing or they want to build a medical device product. And if they are trying to understand what are the nuances of medical device manufacturing, do you want to talk about those? Uh, certainly. There are so many differences. It's hard, Sam, even to know where to begin. Yeah. And it's not just in the manufacturing process. I mean, it's from the quote to cash, in, including the entire supply chain, where yeah. there are differences. And frankly, I think that's one of, for me, the exciting things about being a part of Varian and being in the life science space. If there's yeah. anything that distinguishes an IT function in its day-to-day and even in its strategic execution, it is the industry that you're in. So in many respects, the infrastructure or the application challenges can be the same. But when you start to get into the detailed processes that are industry-specific, like med device or pharma, like life science in general, like a an FDA-regulated environment, that really changes things and introduces new challenges that you need to be able to address. So give you a few examples. One is in terms of the quotation process right up front, where we're taking orders, issuing quotes to customers. And this is, of course, the start of handoff to manufacturing, uh, where they're going to get some demand. But Historically, one of the big challenges is that there are so many regulatory bodies scattered throughout the world. If you're a global company or trying to become global, uh, you need to make sure that you have market clearance in all of these different country markets. And for Varian, like anybody else, managing that can be challenging. The, The product may be available at one point in time, and you may submit in almost a simultaneous fashion your your data to the various regulatory bodies around the world, but the pace at which they proceed will vary radically and dramatically. So you might in three months, six months have clearance in one market and it might be two years before you know you get clearance in Japan or uh, in China. Uh, so the speed with which you can actually sell into these markets is driven by that lead time, by the process for clearance in each of these markets. And So your legal authorization to sell in those markets is limited by those approvals. And that can get a little dangerous even, where if you don't have controls in place to prevent quotes being issued and orders being taken and commitments, legal commitments being made in markets to customers, that could get very messy. Um, And so one of the things that we did a few years back uh, was to introduce something in Salesforce we called the market clearance module or MCM. And yeah. that market clearance module was really the blending of the regulatory team's needs to monitor the application for country or market approvals so they could actually track everything instead of managing on Excel spreadsheets and sending emails around. So manage it from start to finish, from start to clearance, by country, by product. So we provided them that capability and visibility. And then the integration of that, the status of cleared, was something we integrated into our CPQ solution so that sales 
could not quote, could not issue a commitment to a customer prior to a specific market clearance, if that, you know, depending on where that customer is located. So that was a big tightening up and great integration and automation of a process that had been very shaky as we were growing through the years. So that was one example of something where it's very different than what we were doing in the past. And it's very unique in many ways to the, uh, to the life science industry, that FDA regulated uh, and country by country regulation that we're dealing with. Um, so that's one example. Another big example is just the manufacturing process itself. Let's say we've taken that order. And let's say that it's time to start the procurement process and the manufacturing process. The way in which we clear vendors and manage vendors is dictated in part by regulatory requirements. So the requirements we have for our own internal manufacturing processes, the ability to audit them and demonstrate that we have complied with the process in a way that FDA auditors would find acceptable. That we also need to be able to do with our suppliers. Anyone who's manufacturing a subcomponent for us, we need to sit down with them and actually go through the process that we also then need to do with our with our auditors. And that management of the vendors is something that we've integrated into the process. And then when we do the manufacturing, let's say the the final assembly in some cases, where uh, we take some of those components in. The whole process from start to finish at Varian, that ultimately results in what we call the device history record at the end of the day, uh, and the documentation that uh, that captures everything we did from workstation to workstation, from the machine shop where components were made, to the integration of other components that are externally procured, to perhaps early assembly processes and final assembly and final test, all of these steps along the way, we have introduced, we have, we have uh, used a variety of different tools to capture that information and compile that electronic version of the device history record. And not more than a few years ago, that was a completely manual process, physical paper that we would capture, fill out and capture all that data. And now it's done not at the end of the line when the product is fully complete and assembled, but at each step and even in an automated fashion. So test results from final tests are actually captured electronically and the device history record test portion is completed automatically. So these steps, you know, when we're back flushing and completing processes in the manufacturing process, that is captured. So it is automatically an update to the device history record. So we no longer have to do that all manually. The regulatory organization is extremely happy with this highly automated and real-time data capture that goes on in the manufacturing process today and the consistency and completeness that we have when that final device history record is produced. So that's a big change in the manufacturing process that is related to this FDA regulated environment that we're operating in. Yep. And I'd say one other one, if I if I throw out a third example, is yep. really the area of incident management or what we t- often call CAPA and complaints. Yeah. So in this space, we are capturing issues that are reported perhaps through hotlines or through emails or other mechanisms, even word of mouth, where there's been 
related to variant equipment at a customer site, there's been some kind of incident or issue that's arisen, and it may involve even patient safety. And so that becomes a regulatory incident at some point, and we have to manage that to closure. Um, so we have to put together a plan and we have to drive the closure. This is, this is something that for every one of these incidents, the FDA wants to know how did we resolve it? And, and we need to report out on these and we will be audited on these. Um, so anything involving patient safety uh, that threatens patient safety is something that uh, a company like Varian, MedDevice or Farm, I'm sure, uh, has to capture and manage. And so we've built a pretty streamlined process of handling that, again, with some other applications in our portfolio. And so these are some really major examples, I think, that are very different. Our, our, our quotation process and how we integrate that with the regulatory requirements our manufacturing process and how we capture the data to produce the device history record, our incident management process, uh, all of these things I think are pretty unique to our industry. Interesting. So I'm actually going to go back to your one of your comment and going to tell you one story from my perspective and then we can discuss uh, how FDA is going to be different from other uh, regulatory bodies mm-hmm. that manufacturers typically deal with. So one of the comments that you made is the FDA was really happy with this real-time and automated sort of the pipeline that you had in terms of producing these medical devices. Now, demonstrating that, proving that could be slightly difficult. And sometimes I don't know if all of the manufacturers really mean when they say they are really real-time and automated. And one of the uh, you know things that we discussed in the pre-show is that you know you guys kept all of your system current uh, and you guys really uh, invested yourself in technology because FDA could be fairly serious. Now, you know, when I look at the small, let's say the uh, medical device manufacturers, I don't know if they are going to have the same amount of capital in keeping the kind of systems that you guys had, right? So when these, uh, let's say the FDA is reviewing the processes, when they are reviewing the systems, how do they go in this review process. For example, let's say if I don't have the complete automated infrastructure, I can still produce the reports. For example, let's say the majority of the manufacturers, the way they comply with OSHA, and I don't know if you're familiar with OSHA or not, OSHA is going to ask for a lot of requirements from the injury perspective in the warehouse. But typically what the plant managers and majority of the manufacturing and distribution situation, what they do is they are simply following the manual instructions. They are simply gathering this data on the spreadsheet so I don't know how reliable that data is going to be, to be honest, okay? And how strict OSHA is going to be in terms of monitoring the performance, right? So in your case, do you believe that, let's say, if the systems are not really connected and if, let's say, they are managing on the spreadsheet, is FDA is going to be okay with that or not? Uh, well, it's interesting, Sam. I would say that to some degree, the FDA doesn't care how you deliver that data. Yeah. So whether it's fully automated or not, you know, whether it was yeah. our old process where it was heavily manual or it's the new process that's very automated, I, I mean, there may be some inspectors who are more impressed and maybe care, but we're yeah. not giving them typically online access to our systems so that they can just look around and hunt for issues. We are addressing the specific questions that they ask. So they come through, they do an inspection, 
and they say that machine there that's coming off the end of the line, I'd like to see the device history record for that machine right there. There's another one over there. That's the second one. That one third to the left. I want the device history. So they're they're asking difficult, difficult in terms of, you know, that it's a complex document, this device history record that has potentially lots of areas that you could mess up. So they're asking for a, a random set of evidence that you have done the work correct. And so we will then generate those device history records electronically for them, even print them out for them if they so desire. And they can review them for completeness, accuracy. They can pose all kinds of questions, follow-up questions, more detail. So typically, there's a, there's a physical inspection part of this. There may be some documentation review. There are challenge questions. And, and we are providing quick responses. And, and I think in, in some ways, it's more the speed of the response yep. and the completeness and accuracy that they perceive in that response that matters as opposed to the methodology that you use to deliver it. Of course, if you have a highly automated process, you can deliver it a lot more easily and quickly and respond to questions that they might have. So that's the benefit for us. The, the quality, the speed, the level of confidence that we exhibit in these interactions has grown as we have become more IT enabled in these areas. Interesting comment there with respect to the speed. So why are they looking for the speed? They are looking for speed just because they don't trust. Let's say if you are going to be slow, then you are not going to be as serious. Why is the speed a factor? And I can see in the sales situation why speed would be relevant if I'm working with a vendor and if they are slow in responding, I don't want to work with them, to be honest. Okay, I would rather work with, <laughs> with a faster well, vendor. So why I, I think it has more to do. I think it has more to do with whether the data exists yeah. or whether you are creating it at the time you're asked the question. If you can deliver the information quickly, yeah. you obviously didn't have time to create it. It actually genuinely, legitimately existed. You were doing quality work and quality preparation, and you have probably a very quality process. If you need six hours to respond to their question, something doesn't smell right, okay. I think, in their eyes, right, or yep. in their nose. <laughs> Um, yep. either, either you have a chaotic mess behind the scenes, maybe yep. the data exists, but it's all fragmented and you're pulling it together, or maybe it doesn't exist at all and you're creating it, in which case, you know, they probably will have a bunch more questions. So I think it has more to do with that aspect, you know, and then their degree of confidence, your ability to respond quickly is evidence, not just that you have the answer but that you had it before the question was asked. Oh, wow. So six hours is a very short time to respond to some of these queries, I guess. And if that is come up, coming across as a red flag, I don't know how many, how many manufacturers I know of, they can respond within six hours. If OSHA is, let's say, going to ask them how many... Well, they're expecting this information <laughs> exists. They're expecting it exists already. So if you've manufactured a piece of equipment, yeah. you have the device history record. If it's sitting at the end of the manufacturing line, yeah. That document ought to be complete or near complete. So if you need hours to yeah. pull it together, again, something's not right. And so I think that's more the, the aspect of speed that I'm referring to. It's, it's have you actually followed 
a good manufacturing process and one that the FDA would approve of, or are you scrambling during your audit? Okay, so let's talk about some of the questions or the the observations or the objections that you got from FDA during your journey. There, do you have any sort of examples there? What were the clarifications that they wanted? How did you respond? Can you share some of those stories? Well, I'll give you I'll give you one example that was very uh, that shook the organization. Okay, yeah. So, um, and it, it it may not always be related to the device. Yeah. So uh, we had an example, and thankfully this was an example where it was a a, a pre audit. It was a a mock audit, as they as they called it. So they were practicing or helping us to practice. It wasn't them practicing; it was us practicing uh, with our operations in China. So the Chinese regulatory authority came in and conducted a mock audit. And one of the things they asked us for was the evidence that all of our people were certified on the equipment that they were operating. So it's yeah. not just the devices; it's also the training certifications for the operators of the manufacturing equipment, right? So in this case, we said, no problem. And we turned to our system of record for that purpose. I won't go into which system it was since we're not using it anymore. But at that time, it was available. The information that they asked for was in our hands, but there was... This was a cloud system yeah. that went down. The vendor providing the cloud service did not have a functioning system at the time the mock audit was going on. There was two or three wow. days when they were down. And I mean, we came away saying never again, never again can we rely on that vendor and never again can we allow ourselves to be in that situation. You know, we're going to need yeah. some kind of offline backup version that we take periodically of this data because you know whoever we choose to work with it may we may run into this similar situation but again maybe i i can't speak to osha or other regulators but certainly when it comes to these kinds of fda or fda like regulators yeah that type of failure violation could lead to your operation being shut down so that's how serious that was. As a mock audit, it was a disaster. Um, we were able to provide the information a few days later when the, the system was available again, but that would have been absolutely unacceptable. There's an example of, of what could go wrong. It's a different yeah. type of auditor question. And, uh, and, and so we've taken action since then changing partners and taking offline backups uh, so that we can really always be certain that we can address that kind of question. Okay, interesting. And since you mentioned that, I think, you know, it's going to be beneficial for our audience to understand overall, you know, uh, there's always uh, an argument, especially in the medical device community, right? The sense of validation for the software that they are purchasing. And some of the software are going to be validated from the FDA perspective, and some are not. And sometimes, let's say, if I, as the medical device manufacturer, is going to buy a software that is not going to be validated each time they are going to release an update in the software will trigger a a validation. And then we have to ask our consultant to validate that. So there is always this sort of debate in the medical device community, whether cloud is going to be right 
fit for their need or not just because of this validation requirement. So let's say if you were the medical device manufacturer um, and you were evaluating these systems, what would be your recommendation as far as validation goes? I don't know if validation was a requirement in your business. What would be your perspective overall from the validation perspective in evaluating a cloud system versus on-prem system? Well, one of the things that I think a robust regulatory compliant system has to offer is a significant log history capability. You really need to be able to show at the field level in a lot of these systems, what changed, who changed it, when did it change? That is not always available, especially in a lot of the cloud systems and the newer, uh, maybe smaller vendors of uh, cloud solutions don't necessarily have that level of capability. That is something that they might grow into, but that is not something that is always available out of the box with smaller vendors. So as we do RFPs and we look at things where uh, solutions that, that require validation, one of the keys is the log capabilities, the details on date, time, user stamping uh, that allow us to have traceability. That is a real powerful piece uh, for a truly validated system. So I I call that one out. Yeah, and that's a very interesting perspective because my understanding was that, I mean, this requirement is going to be triggered more from the SOX compliance perspective, and that is the SOX compliance, right? Uh, And I don't know if FDA also asked for the SOX compliance so in case of SOX, obviously, if you are going to demonstrate that, you know what, I'm SOX compliant from the finance leg- regulation perspective, then you definitely have to show that history. But from the validation perspective for FDA, my understanding was that, that, you know, anytime you make any change in the software, that has to be validated by a FDA certified consultant. And that goes in the manufacturing facility as well. I don't know if you guys had the FDA strict requirements in terms of validating your facility, but when you are claiming that, you know what, my manufacturing facility is really the FDA compliant, there is going to be a requirement in validating. And if you are going to make any changes to your facility, that has to be reviewed by the FDA consultant. They have to certify it. And that actually goes in the software as well. So sometimes when you are working with these cloud systems, and sometimes these cloud systems could be real time. They are releasing these updates and fixing bugs on a daily basis. Now, if you actually release a fix on a on a validated system, obviously now it's not validated because you have already moved ahead in your version. So I, I don't know if you guys had that requirement, but that is something I have heard in the medical device community. Well, when it comes to validation, yeah, I, I think it has more to do with expected and actual results. Okay. So, you know, the IQ, OQ, PQ process that people talk about in, yeah. in the validation process. I, the, the issue is not whether you can track change to your earlier point. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's uh, are you getting consistent expected results and the ability to track changes makes you as the operator a lot more comfortable and confident. And if we make a change, it should not alter, for example, the expected result 
in any significant way, or that might be an issue. Yes. So if you are making changes that are not really relevant to the the outcome of the process in any significant way, we're we're modifying uh, security to make it more secure. We're enabling some additional logging. We're you know doing lots of different things we could do. Uh, we're adding some additional options for how you can achieve the end result, but it's still the same end result. I think those things tend not to require approval from the FDA because you're not modifying the end result. Um, the expected and the end result are still going to be the same and match. But if you get audited and you have a change log, you need to be able to show that yeah. you made changes and that they were tested and they did not affect the performance or results of the device. So, of course, Varian 2 is making changes on a regular basis to its products and trying to make improvements to its products. And some of those are certainly going to require FDA validation. When the, the, the actual functionality is going to change, then that's going to trigger a new compliance process. But again, there's also differing degrees of regulation, right? There is the product itself that's used to maybe treat the patient. And then there are our IT systems that are supporting the creation of the product. So those IT systems, the ERP system, for example, or yep. the CPQ system, they do fall under the umbrella of regulated systems. And the auditors do have the authority to ask questions and investigate those systems as well as the device itself. But their interest tends to be more downstream, you know, on the device, the, the evidence around that device, rather than did we have a good change control process in our ERP system as we, you know, made some changes. So there, there typically are some questions in that regard, but not nearly as many and not, 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 uh, not as intense. But yeah, there, there's, again, circling back to your question, Sam, I mean, the, the, the traceability element that I was referring to earlier yeah. is yeah. something that we need to have sometimes in order to respond to questions as opposed to something that we need to have in order to keep, keep in compliance, right? It's, yeah changes take place. I think the FDA understands you're making tweaks to your systems. Um, again, I'm talking now about your ERP system, for example, as opposed to the device. Um, yeah. So you may, you may make changes to your manufacturing process. The device at the end of the line should be exactly what you got approval for. But the way that you do the back flush, the way that you procure the product, the way that you approve the vendor, the way that you do all of these things might change over time. And hopefully they're getting better and improving over time. But none of that should have an impact on the end result, the device that comes out at the end of the line, right? If it does, then you really do have a problem. But if they ask some questions about changes you made to the manufacturing process, the procurement process, to uh, the sales and quotation process, or whatever they might ask, to the employee certification process, you do need to be able to respond to that. You need, do need to be able to show sometimes what's changed uh, they'll ask you, what are the changes you made over the last three months? Can you show me that? Uh, and and how, how you know, do you have the test results for that? I'd like to yeah. see some examples. And so, again, we get into, well, can we provide that traceability and visibility to them, even if it had no 
product impact. Yeah, wonderful. That's it for today, Tom. Do you have any last minute closing thoughts by any chance? Well, I'd circle back to this point about industry being such a powerful differentiator. And so that is you know, much of what we talked about today, how it's different from a quotation process, how it's different from a manufacturing process, how it impacts procurement, how it impacts training and certifications. Uh, we didn't talk about things like tools and calibration of tools and how we stay compliant in that respect and current. Yeah. There's lots of things uh, that we could talk about in, in addition to what we've already covered today, Sam. But I'd say that industry is, is a powerful driver of differentiation for our IT people and processes and ultimately systems. And I'm really excited to be part of this whole life science space. To me, it's it, it, it provides me a great reason to get up in the morning because at Varian, we're trying to save people's lives. We're fighting cancer. And what we're doing is not just trying to comply with the regulators. We're trying to save people's lives. And the regulators are trying to ensure that we do it well and safely. And, uh, and so I look at that as a partnership in many respects. They're not the enemy. They're our partners in trying to deliver that solution to a patient. Yeah, and my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be when you are developing these capabilities for your industry, in my opinion, you should mean them, like really mean them as opposed to just thinking of complying with these regulatory bodies. Think of that your patient's life are going to be at stake. In manufacturing situations, there could be injuries to real people. So really mean them. On that note, Tom, I really want to thank you for your time. This has been a powerful discussion. Well, thank you, Sam. And uh, I enjoyed it. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Tom, you can find and connect with him on LinkedIn with the handle Tom hyphen Rodden. It's T-O-M hyphen R-O-D-D-E-N. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Michael Schwagenhofer, who discusses how insurance companies evaluate manufacturers' risk profiles. Also, the interview with Clay Coleman, who discusses the importance of a QMS system and why it matters for manufacturing and distribution companies. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to get you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.